what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome to the Coach's Mind Podcast with Coach Curtis Williams and Coach Mike Urso. This podcast is to help those who want to be extraordinary health and fitness coaches by breaking down the tools and strategies they need to grow and develop their craft so they can become top of their class and build a business that contributes to personal and professional growth. What's going on, everybody? We are back, and I am here with my good friend, Coach Mike, uh, Coach Curtis here. Um, and today we wanted to talk to you a little bit about principles versus methods. Now, principles are going to be things that are a little bit more on the non-negotiable side, right? Like, you just can't argue it. They're science. It's, it's clear. This is the fact, and there's, we're yeah. not disputing that, Evidence-based. Right? Evidence-based. Right. Um, methods are different ways to essentially respect the principle and still go in that direction to accomplish said thing. Um, but there's different ways to get there. So as long as the method isn't as me and Mike may have different methods, uh, for certain things, it's not as crucial to have a specific method as long as it's honoring the principle. And Mike had an amazing quote um, to kick us off today that I want him to uh, draw for you guys, so go for it. Yeah, much of today's discussion stems from this uh, quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it goes, as to methods, there may be a million and then some, but principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. And that basically sums up everything Curtis said right there, which is there are tons and tons of methods. And if we think about it from a coaching standpoint, there are so many ways to go about energy system development or corrective strategy to get hip mobility or, you know, building a bigger chest. There are tons and tons of methods. The thing is, is are the methods we're selecting, as you said, honoring those principles? There are a lot of underlying principles. And so... And we talked about this even before we started recording. I was, I was saying, because I went through this as my, myself, the evolution of a, of a new trainer, you know, evolving into a, a, a good, well-educated um, um, coach. I think we all went through that. Yeah, yeah. whereas like you start off and you are, you know, you kind of are looking at the foundational things and we're learning the basics of training, program design, you know, energy systems. But we're also experimenting. We're trying a lot because we don't know what works yet. We haven't really gotten in the trenches and got started. So those first couple clients we have are kind of like guinea pigs for us in a way. And we start to, you know, maybe have some crazy programming where we're doing, you know, the box jumps are at the end of the workout versus the beginning of the workout, right? Or we do the deadlifts after we do, um, you know, the uh, single leg deadlifts. So, you know, you, you don't have a whole lot of rhyme or reason to your programming. You're choosing these methods. They're all, all over the place. And it's not until we kind of understand those principles and spend a lot of time on those underlying principles that, as the non-negotiables, you call them, the yep. science-backed, evidence-based type of things that allow us to um, really move the needle forward with our client's progress and then pick the right methods that are going to make sure that they're moving us in the right direction. So it's, it's interesting, as a new coach, your toolbox is very small. Um, and you, you, a lot of times people skip by learning the principles and really just go to you know, putting in a whole bunch of exercises and throwing shit at the wall to see if it sticks. And, it, and it's really un, ineffective. You know, you, if, if there's any advice I can give out is, and if I can go back and do it all over again, because I studied the FMS and all the principles of the functional movement screen, 
um, and movement science through Gray Cook and, and guys like him, Lee Burton, I would, I would go back and I would really get good at just learning the FMS, those seven uh, movements, the principles of them all, the, 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 I think, 10 movement principles that are laid out in the book Movement, and really understand those because once you understand those principles, you can pick any method you want that works. And what you end up finding is, is even though your toolbox is, is starting to grow as you become a better trainer and a more experienced trainer, you're actually using less of it because now you're honoring the principles instead of those methods. Well, I think what ends up happening a lot of times is simply that like we become you know, new trainers, fresh out, and our, our goal is obviously to acquire clients, right? We want to build a business. Right. Whether it's solo or whether it's... You don't get better if you're not training somebody. Totally. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think we get a little bit confused at the beginning. I, I did it too, right? Um, you know, standing on the bolsu ball upside down, doing a bicep curl, yeah. crazy nonsense, right? And uh, mm -hmm. it, it's just, you know, trainers get caught up trying to look uh, a little flashy, mm -hmm. maybe maybe nuanced and Absolutely. creative. And, and it's not that... You want to impress your client a lot of times. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, guys, it's not that you're wrong per se, but at the end of the day, number one goal is, is results. Yeah. Right. You want to really impress your client, get them results. Get them results. 100%. And yeah. unfortunately, we don't realize that at the beginning. I think obviously our, our mind is on results, but we think some of these flashy creative things that are going to pull people in are going to get them there the same way. Right. You know, learning the principles and some of these solid foundation movements are going to get them there. And, and honestly, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here, but, but guys, like, you know, one leg Bosu ball curls or something are not going to do it the same way as some really quality foundational lifts. So, so keep that in mind when you are going through exercise selection, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, what's some important things we should start here with is just talking about as a coach, what are the most important principles or, or what are the, the very obvious principles that we should focus on? And then maybe some examples of you know, how methods should match up with these specific principles within the, you know, the, the coaching realm and the training world. So the big one I thought about was the energy systems, right? Yes. Energy systems, we have three of them. The energy system principles um, of, you know, your ATP-CP system, your glycolytic system, your oxidative system, call them whatever you want them. There's different names for these, you know, phosphagen, some people call the ATP-CP. Um, but really, there's three th those three um, different forms of uh, energy systems, three different energy systems that we work through. Um, we need to focus on maintaining those principles when we are selecting our methods. So we talked about this before we started recording. Yep. If we're training, uh, let's say the oxidative system, the slow burn, the was it type A fibers, right? Mm -hmm. The oxygen system, your aerobic system, some people call it. Um, we want to make sure that we are, if that's the phase of training we're in or the, the specific type of result we're trying to uh, improve is the, the efficiency of our oxidative system, well then we need to be picking methods to train that that are going to honor that principle. So um, once we know what, the what it means, which is like training, basically it's mostly endurance, it's low force, right? And it's a long, steady duration. Once we know that those are the principles of the oxidative system, now what are the methods that we're going to select? Are they going to fit into those characteristics of, of what the oxidative system is? Exactly. So 
I may, I may choose to train the oxidative system by telling a client to go out and run a 5K in zone two, in their zone two heart rate, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, that may be the method that I choose. You may pick, who knows, you may have them get on an Airdyne bike exactly. and pedal away at a zone two for 45 minutes. You know, is either wrong? No, but does both of them honor the principle of, you know, what we just talked about? Are they both low force output? Are they both Absolutely. long, steady duration? Are they um, all about endurance, yep. right? So, so again, this is what we need to be thinking about when we're selecting what we're, uh, what our method is. And, and you could think about it, you know, there are only three of these principles of, of these three different types of energy systems. Exactly. Very, again, very few are their principles, but methods, I mean, we can sit here and we can probably rattle off, I don't know, 50 or 100 different ways to train the oxidative system yep. if we wanted to, from, yep. you know, taking a walk through the woods to, you know, basically anything you could think of, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. we, can, we can get on a rower and start rowing. So there's so many different ways um, to go about it. You have anything you want to add and throw into that? Or? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, at the end of the day, um, understanding the principles of each system is, is massively important, but I promise you no client is ever going to come to you and say, hey, I'm really trying to train, you know, my ATP, <laughs> CP, right. you know, so understanding the systems will put you in a good position to then be like, okay, based on this individual's goals and where they want to go and what they want to do, yes. now I can program within the this realm or this realm or wherever it is that you need to be based on their goals. But without understanding the system and understanding what you need to do to honor that system, it's going to be a little bit harder and it, it will turn into throwing stuff up against the wall because mm -hmm. now it's just a matter of, well, what, what can I do to, to, to give them the best workout and get them tired and sweating and laying on the floor panting at the end. And, and it's like, it's not always about that, especially if there's specific things that need to be done or a client comes to you with high blood pressure, right? There's a lot of different things that we don't want to do do, because of that high blood pressure right and we can utilize the principles of certain systems to train them a little bit more efficiently number one safely and effectively yeah absolutely i think um and that goes into the evolution of taking a, a client who's been sedentary for a long time and getting them up into moving uh, we know that the other principle of those three systems is, is we always have to have an underlying aerobic capacity, right, built in. Like you can't just train your ATP, CP system efficiently if you don't have an underlying base of cardiovascular health. That's a great point. Through aerobic, right? So yep. that's another principle within the energy system thing that we have to honor. Yes. So we're not going to take a brand new client, right, who comes in and is deconditioned hasn't been working out, has been sitting at a desk for six to eight hours a day, driving, commuting in their car for two hours a day, going home, sitting and watching Netflix for two hours a day, really only up and about moving when they go to the water cooler or go to the bathroom or walk to their car. We're not gonna take that person and start doing box jumps with them or sprints on a treadmill or even interval training. It's not going to be effective for that person. So we have to honor that energy system principle. That person's most effective method of training, building the aerobic system and movement efficiency is probably gonna be getting up and down off the ground, doing corrective exercise that gets them sweaty but is not super over demanding and is working on movement efficiency plus aerobic capacity at the same time. And then maybe we stand them up and we go for a walk or we do some sort of very lightweight circuit that gets the heart rate going but it's never too intense. 
So we have to focus on those parts as well as the principles within the principles. Are we making sure that what we're selecting to do with that person um, and then vice versa, you got somebody who, for example, is, a, is an athlete and they come to you and they already have a great aerobic system, they're looking now to gain more power, maybe in their golf swing, maybe, um, you, know, you know, whoever it may be, a baseball player and they're trying, or a, a basketball player, you know, you're, you're yep. in a basketball round and they're trying to get, you know, a bigger vertical so they can dunk and exactly. finish, you know, finish dunks more. It could be that. So we're going we're gonna to take that person. We're not going to start them just doing aerobic work with them because they've already been working on the conditioning with that. We're going to assess them, see where they're at, and then follow those principles and then start training their ATPCP system with the you know, correct uh, protocols. Exactly. And remember that like in both scenarios, you can turn clients off. If I got a brand new deconditioned client and I'm like, here we go, it's time for a hit today and we're going to crush it, mm-hmm. that client may never come back. Right. And if I make that client throw up on day one or two, it's probably a bad sign. Right. So like keeping that in mind, super big when, when we're doing this, right? It's the same with, with what right. Mike was saying about like, if I'm coming to you and I'm looking for you to increase my vertical and you're like, yeah, but we should probably do these uh, bird dogs and we should, you know, work on this stuff because of X, Y, and Z. I'm probably going to be like, I'm going to move on somewhere else, right? Yeah. So keep that stuff in mind too, guys. Um, Understanding these principles and these systems um, will go a long way for also client retention because then you can program the way that they need it to be programmed, not the way that you want it to be programmed. Yeah. So, man, this is a great segue to, I'm so glad you brought that up because you know, I, I've, we've had all had those clients who maybe we've worked out too hard before and they get discouraged if we give them, yeah. throw them too much because this leads into what is one of the most important principles to know as a trainer, which is the said principle, which is specific adaptations to impose demands. Yep. This is that principle that governs everything that your client's going to do with you inside and outside of the gym. So if we don't honor this, when we are coming up with our programming, not only there, but beyond the four walls of the gym as a coach, and we are coaching our clients' habits and behaviors outside the gym, just think, right? This said principle is, is in play when a client is you know, trying to improve their aerobic fitness, right? If we don't put them under some sort of distress or duress for an extended period of time that's low level, not too intense, but gets their heart rate up a little bit and gets them sweating, moving, we're not going to be able to create the adaptations necessary to, to, to build more aerobic capacity. Yeah. But outside of that too, let's say when they do go home and they leave us and they are sitting at their desk for eight hours a day, the, the, um, the, the adaptations that are gonna occur from that person sitting in that kyphotic position at their desk are also going to create specific adaptations. So the type of stimulus that you put on your person's body, whether that is through neglecting to coach habits and behaviors outside of the gym that you know are gonna lead into um, you know, better, better positions, uh, less pain, less inflammation, um, versus the stuff that you're actually programming exercise-wise in the gym. They all are extremely important, yes. but we have to honor this principle and know that if my person is deconditioned, then I am not choosing a method that is high intensity for this person because that's not going to, it's, not, it's just not going to work for them. We have to honor the said principle. It's, it's governed all the time. Exactly. And like guys, specific adaptation is, is, is massive. And, and honestly, 
you can you can stimulate change in so many ways mm -hmm. like doing circus tricks and getting creative is not it's typically not the way to go like i i don't even know why i said typically it is never the way to go right um we don't want to stimulate change by risking injury yeah. right risk to reward ratio if you're a trainer you've never heard risk to reward ratio you have to um take a step back go look into that but like another quick, great principle though yeah quick breakdown guys risk to reward is like here I'll, I'll give you an example to make it a little clear if i'm doing a kettlebell swing and i'm someone who has never learned a kettlebell swing to do I don't, I'm not taking a shot at CrossFit because I actually don't mind CrossFit depending on, we can get in a whole different conversation there. <laughs> but, um, but to do a kettlebell swing CrossFit style where you're going way above your head and you're almost 100% vertical with the kettlebell directly above your head and then back down, the risk increases dramatically versus if you were to do a kettlebell swing to maybe your chest or shoulder height, mm. right? Um, and for most people who have never done a kettlebell swing, if I'm going to have them do that overhead swing, um, the risk of injuring a shoulder, injuring a back as they come down with that heavy weight and they can't stabilize and control it, you know, losing control of the kettlebell, whatever the case is, uh, is far too high, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't need to have them do overhead swings uh, because the risk is too high. I want the reward to be much higher. So I'm going to keep them shoulder height or le or even a little less um, and have them focus on the explosive power of the hips, triple extension, and I'm still going to stimulate and create that adaptation that's needed and I'm in, in, the, in the change that's required for the body to adjust and be able to do this movement, but I'm not going to give it to them in such a way that I could hurt them. Yeah. Um, I could, you know, and most likely it's just going to result in injury and it's going to turn the client off. So you got to be careful with that when you're talking about things that we do to create the adaptation that we're, we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, um, if you throw something at somebody that's way more than they can handle, that's probably going to be close to breaking them. So you just have to be very, very cautious on how you approach and the, and the choices that you make. Um, Again, there are so many different ways to go about this and so many different methods that you can choose yep. to create a specific adaptation with a person or yeah, I should say to elicit a specific adaptation with, with a client. Um, does what you're selecting honor what you're trying to accomplish, the principle that you're trying to accomplish? Rule number right? one. Yeah, so fat loss, we know there are specific principles that go along with fat loss. Typically, it's a small caloric restriction it is you know, getting more uh, caloric burn in some way. It's make sure you're maintaining and, and increasing lean tissue because lean tissue is highly metabolic and will help increase metabolism and allow your body to burn fat properly. Can we pause for two seconds? Please. Um, I hate to interrupt you, but I know that the coaches out here will benefit from this and I need you to dive in a little bit on cool. what the amount of times that I've heard recently that like, all that really matters is calories and being in a caloric <laughs> deficit right. is absurd and it's kind of driving me a little nuts. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah. and what, I've, what I've tried to explain people, and I, I want you to elaborate on this because I know you're going to have some really good points. Um, I'm trying to explain to people that a caloric deficit isn't the only thing that matters. Right. Um, and trying to explain that 
in a caloric deficit, not focusing on protein intake and so on and so forth, like you will become catabolic as well and you will right. loon, lose lean muscle tissue. And one of the points you just harped on was lean muscle tissue being important. Yeah. So what are, what are your takes on that for some of these younger coaches out there that are falling into the trap of believing calories that, in, calories out? And that's yeah. the only... Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. I know you'll agree with this. It is a rule and it's legitimate. Like mm-hmm. it's... You can't argue calories right. in, calories it's out. It's a law of thermogenics, yeah. Right? It's a law. But... There's other things that come into play. Right. So what? So what's your take on? Yeah, that? well, there's a high amount of um, uh, bio vari- bar- variability, like person to person. Yep. So, meaning like if you get on the scale every day, or even if you get on the scale three times today, let's say you get you get on the scale when you wake up, after lunch, and then before you go to bed, it's probably going to say three different things. Definitely. Okay. So they may be all within a pound. They may be within a half a pound. They may be within five or 10 pounds. I've seen, I've seen five to 10 pound variation with my weight over the course of a day. I do the same thing. A lot has to do with my water intake. A lot, mm-hmm. and a lot has to do with that. So there are just too many variables throughout the day. There is that underlying thing that we don't see coming into play, which is stress and mm-hmm. how stress allows your body to hold on to fat more so and become more inflammatory. So there's that. There's a lot of underlying systems at play that we can't just rely on a calories in versus calories out type of, of way. It is one law. It is the law of thermogenics. That's without a doubt. We can't argue with that. We have to have some sort of caloric deficit in order to lose weight. Yes. I'm not saying lose fat. I'm saying lose weight. Yes. This is an important distinction here Thank too. You. Thank you. So this is important because... A lot of times, and I know we're going off into a little, you know, wormhole here, but but we'll we'll stick with it for a little while because it is important. But I think going back to the lean mass part, lean mass is so important, and so you hit it. Protein intake extremely important. Where are your calories coming from that we're focused on? You know, a deficit or a surplus. We need to know where they're coming from. We need we need some sort of so so we have the law of thermo, thermogenics, which is you know just the calories in calories out how much are we burning how much are we taking yep. in but then we have the 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 stress on the body so the general adaptation syndrome or what is the stimulus we're putting on the muscle to allow the muscle to either maintain its status or you know and 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 stoke that fire that metabolism or are we not putting any stimulus on the muscle tissue at all and allowing you know that calorie deficit to actually eat away at maybe some of our muscle tissue or lose some of our muscle there in turn our metabolism is going to go down we're not going to be burning at as high rate as we possibly could we will be more pro-inflammatory if we have less muscle mass like that so i think um, it's really important to to pay attention to the variability that we all have there's very much an individual um, it's an individual basis. We can't just focus on the calories in, calories out. It, it, you have to take a look at, am I putting some sort of stimulus on my musculoskeletal system through you know, resistance training? Am I sleeping properly? All of these things play a big part into how your body's either going to lose weight, gain weight, or maintain its weight. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm glad you, you harped on that a little bit. I just think it's important because at the end of the day, it does lead into another principle, law of thermodynamics, but like also breaking it down on a little bit more of a thorough level. So, you, so we understand where we need to go with it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I had to stop you and get yeah. your input on that. No, just it's, it's a great catch. Yeah. It's been, it's been, uh, circulating a lot lately and it's, I mean, sleep comes into play, hormones come into play. There's, there's a lot of things right. going on. So now, have you had people track calories in the past or d- done them yourself? Uh, yeah. like through my fitness pal. So, so have I, I've, yeah. I've done that and I've had things where, pardon me, all the numbers match up, right? These people, 
they're eating the amount that I'm asking them to. Their macros are all where they should be. But for some reason, their weight's not really moving. You know, there's something else at play here. So we have to now say, okay, everything is up to par where, you know, with our calorie intake, with our macronutrient breakdown, with everything you're asking, you know, the clients saying what everything you're asking me to do. Why am I not losing weight? So there are there's stagnation that can happen from that too, right? From your body and, and this is um, you know, the said principle again is if you are not putting some sort of stimulus on your body, you're not going to create any type of adaptation. So if you start doing the same thing, eating the same things, and even though those macronutrients and everything, your body will become efficient at that, at the way you're eating. So there may be a, an opportunity there to change something, to add something in, to take something out, to eat different vegetables than you normally eat instead of chicken and broccoli every single Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You know, Make some sort of changes. I think it's really important to pay attention to those things too. Absolutely. And on the exercise that, uh, side of things, we can easily talk about progressive overload. Absolutely. Right? Great principle. Right? <sighs> Super awesome principle. Yeah. It's clearly backed by all the science you could ever need. Right. Um, and that's an easy way to create more stimulus as time goes on. Because right. if we're just using 15 pounds for two months straight, nothing's gonna happen after, right. after the first couple weeks, you know? Right. So over time, guys, like remember, in progressive overload, if you're not familiar, essentially in a periodization phase, it's something where like, if you do the same workout every Monday, when you come back to that workout the following Monday, you should at minimum be trying to, let's say you did three sets and you did 15 pounds for every set. Maybe this next Monday you do 15, 15, 20. And then maybe the next Monday it's like 15, 20, 20, or maybe you even hit 25. It all depends on how strong you're feeling, but that's essentially progressive overload in the smallest nutshell I can, I can explain. But you're going up in weight and challenging yourself in that same movement for about a month, maybe six weeks, whatever it is. So by the end of it, you're a lot stronger mm -hmm. at chest press or squat or right. whatever it is. Um, that creates a constant um, adaptation requirement for the body and it puts you in a position where you will stimulate the change you need and your body will adjust and adapt and grow the way that we're looking for. Yeah, it's an important principle and if we go back to looking at the example you gave before where you're getting that new client in and you're giving them hit intervals to do and they don't have an aerobic base. Now, we're saying, are first of all, are we assessing where they're at right now? We need to know where they're starting. You know, we need to know what's their efficiency cardiovascular wise, how much weight can they lift, how much joint range of motion do they have, do they have aches and pains, where are their restrictions, where are their mental restrictions and blocks. And then, you know, am I giving them things? Progressive overload also works in a way of habit change and habit forming. Yeah, if you think yeah. about it that way, right? Absolutely. So so there's methods of that honor that principle just in our habit and, and, and behavior change. If somebody, for example, is eating vegetables once a week or maybe not at all, and we're trying to get them to eat vegetables as one of their behaviors and nutrition habits, and I tell that person, I need you to start eating vegetables five days a week for lunch every single day, you know, or, or you know, lunch and dinner five days a week. You're going from zero to 100 overnight. Yeah. That is not progressive overload, right? That is not um, you know something that this is it's making too big of a jump so what do you think is going to happen you know just like that person who you give hit intervals to who's not fit for it 
they're going to get sick. They're going to maybe get um, you know very discouraged. They're going to be in a lot of pain the next day and probably sore. Same thing is going to happen with this person who you're trying to give too big of a behavior to. So can we start with one day? Can you do vegetables on Tuesdays exactly. for lunch and dinner? Can you do that successfully? Good, we're gonna give you a little bit more. We're gonna progressively overload you with more over time. So this works not only on the exercise front, but it's a principle. So the method you choose has to honor those principles once again. That's it, man, that's it. And you're totally right. I think when it comes to habit change and and all that stuff, um, that is, that still stands, you know, people don't talk about progressive overload as much when it comes to habit change, but I love how you phrase that because it's 100% true. There's mm-hmm. no way around it. Um, I know you had uh, another principle that you wanted to harp on a little bit today. Which one was that? Yeah, for? and it kind of goes into um, said principle and um, progressive overload, which I'm, gr- I'm glad you brought up. I forgot about that one. Um, is uh, general adaptation syndrome, so yeah. the gas theory. Yeah. And general adaptation syndrome just is basically that we have this shock phase, right, where we are hit with that stimulus that is uh, more than what we've seen in the past. Like, Hopefully, if we're continuing to honor the progressive overload principle, it's just a little bit more than what we've seen before. So to your point, uh, I don't know how much weight you said before, but let's say we're doing a 100-pound uh, squat you know, the next week we're gonna do 105 or 110 pound squat, exactly. you know, for the same amount of reps. Yep. Or we're gonna use more repetitions in the same way. Whatever totally. it is, we're doing a little bit more. So that's a shock to the system, right? Exactly. Your body's like, I haven't handled this before. I haven't seen it. What is this? It's now like, you know, it's, it's created the stimulus. Now there's this kind of um, acclimating phase where now your body is, trying to build back. It's either laying down um, you know, uh, more layers of, of muscle tissue to be able to handle that. Maybe it's, con- it's making better neural connections to your muscles in your brain yep. and creating um, more efficiency with the firing of those muscles, maybe bringing on more muscles, usable muscles to, to help assist in that lift. Absolutely. Um, you've got these things going on. And then there's the phase where now your body's saying to you, well, if he does this again, I've got to be ready for it. So I've got to be prepared. So I'm going to build myself back just a little bit stronger because if I build my back, myself back stronger, I'll be able to handle this load because he may do that to me again. And so that's essentially what your body talking to itself. I just created a dialogue I like it, <laughs> with though. myself. It's, but that's yeah. what's going on, right? To, to help you understand this is the conversation your body's having with yep. itself. Um, and this is the general adaptation syndrome, whereas you know your body is, is hit with a stimulus, it acclimates to it, and then you have this kind of you know this um, uh, point in time where you supersede your previous point and, and you supercompensate from there. And this process happens over and over. Yeah. Forever. But but again, going back to the point is we can't have this super crazy like shock stimulus. Think about it. Um, uh, well, this is a really interesting thing. This kind of departs a little bit from from uh, the fitness realm, but okay. think about like uh, a very emotional period you had in your time, or something very memorable that moved you. Um, you know, it could be something horribly dramatic or something extremely emotional. Uh, take like a, a loved one getting married, or or you know any uh, you know when, when you get engaged, or anything that happens to you that is a really super happy moment that is uh, tied into a lot of emotion. Yeah. Uh, it's a very memorable experience. It's a shock to yeah, your yeah. system, right? Think about a movie you've seen for the first time, right? A scary movie. Oh my God, like you get thrown back. You're like, holy shit, that was terrifying. But then if you watch that movie again, are you scared or shocked the same way? 
No, no, definitely not. Because yeah. your body and everything adjusts to it, acclimates to it. And it says, if they're going to do that again, I'm not going to respond the same way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ready to handle it. Exactly. Same exact theory is into play here. So, you know, we have to be considering that when we're choosing the methods of how we're going about training our clients, coming up with habits and behaviors for them, and all the other things that we focus on as coaches and, and delivering you know, the coaching process to them. Yeah, and let's uh, let's also not forget, guys. Like, um, I I'm not sure if there's actually a principle behind what I'm about to say, but um, what I will say is that when it comes to this whole adaptation process and growing to be able to uh, handle these these different stimuluses, uh, sleep is like mm. if you if you're not focusing on getting good quality sleep, then your body is going to struggle to adapt the right way, right? Yes. So keep that in mind. Um, I, Like I said, I can't think of a, of a sleep principle. I'm not sure if there is one, but what I do know... Well, I think the, the, the gas theory plays into that too. Because, oh, definitely. You yeah. know, for, for sure. And, and, um, and stress itself, you know, and the way stress Huge. plays into sleep and all that too. So they all, there's this interplay with all of them. Yeah, well, they actually did a study and it was on like CEOs, right? So the whole point was like, you know, everyone's talking about, we don't have enough time. We're too busy. We're this, we're that. So they took people who really had no time. Like yeah. the, every minute of the day was accounted for. Right. And they have enough money to pay for a chef, to hire a trainer, to do all these so things. they outsourced all the things. Yeah. They outsourced. That's what smart, wealthy people do. They delegate. They know what they're doing. They, they know what they're not good at. They delegate. They right. spread it out. So all the meals are on point. Macros can't be off because they're all made tailored for this individual um workouts are on point tailored to this individual doesn't skip doesn't skip a workout um what they were not doing was getting good quality sleep mm. taking some personal time throughout the day mm -hmm. maybe maybe 5 10 15 minutes if you're yep. feeling real good reconnecting with yourself reconnecting with yourself which means no phones no tvs right. like you're you're not reconnecting on the couch watching netflix right, right. you're not reconnecting on a walk surfing right you got to leave the phone at home maybe go for a walk meditation if that's something that you're into oh, yeah. or you want to try is my favorite thing. being nature is my favorite thing too yeah. right so so that's so those work um that so doing they weren't doing the sleep they weren't doing that and they were doing exactly what you mentioned earlier with some of your clients hey i'm on point what's going on i'm still not losing weight right um they had them implement 10 minutes a day of me time no technology um and work on sleep hygiene. So start trying to maybe, uh, sleep hygiene would be like cutting out technology, blue lights, things of that nature, right. a half an hour, an hour. Hour and a half is like, they say a really good amount of time, but it's big for a lot of people to do an hour and a half, but before bed, none of that stuff. So maybe you're reading a book, maybe you're with your, you know, just talking to your significant other, or you have some, you know, intimate time or whatever the case is, you're finding ways to, not be on technology for that time. Um, there's other things like if you get movement first thing in the morning, even five minutes of movement, if you get sunlight between six and eight, like mm -hmm. there's a, there's this book that's an amazing book by Sean Stevenson called Sleep Smarter and it's yeah, 21 yeah. strategies. And I really liked it because all the right. strategies are great. Sleeping in a, in a room that's like 69 degrees, 67, 69, because right, you don't yeah. want to be too hot, all these things. They started having people work on sleep hygiene, do the meantime, and boom, weight starts coming off, muscle starts coming on, body completely adapts, they change nothing else, yeah. right? So when we talk about gas and the general adaptation syndrome, 
it won't work efficiently if we're not doing the things to recover and take care of ourselves, right? right? So we always got to keep that stuff in mind with clients too. It's where we could be making all the best right decisions, but then if we're not teaching them some of those habit change um, things, like you mentioned earlier, outside of the gym that right. do matter as well, yeah. they may not, they, they well, may struggle to get those results. And so, yeah, and I don't know that there is a specific principle for sleep that covers all those things, but I know that there are, like you just said, 21 different principles that Sean Stevenson has come up yeah, with, at yeah. least, that are backed by science. Exactly. Um, a lot of them being, you know, blocking out light and having no light. So here's an example of what we're talking about principles versus methods here. The principle is we know that completely darked out, you know, not bringing in any light into the eye while you're sleeping is a very effective way to turn down the brain to get yep. ready for bed to allow your body to, to get into relaxation. Well, you may be coaching your client through some a method of how am I, you know, that's the principle is like completely dark. What's the method I'm gonna choose to coach my client through that? It may be different. It may not be realistic to have them, hey, I want you to change your, your blinds out and put, you know, completely blacked out blinds. Exactly. You know, it may cost too much money for them. They're not ready to do that. Maybe their partner doesn't want that that they're sleeping with. Maybe they want a little bit of light. It's very variable. But what if I say, hey, there's this $20 sleep mask on Amazon. Pick up this sleep mask. It's going to cover you. You're going to wear it on your eyes. It's super comfortable. You know, it'll block out all the light. And, and now we've honored our principle, but we've just selected a different method, right? Exactly. So there's multiple ways to go about it. This is just another example of talking about their, our, our topic at hand today, right? Exactly. exactly. And um, it, it's, just a, it's just a matter of... Again, going back to understanding the principles, so then you can figure out which method you need to, you want to choose, right? Because I know this is, I, this will be a little bit of an extreme example, but like, if I'm like, hey, you got to get better sleep, so go run five miles. That'll right. tire you out. Like, right. method does not match the principle. That's not really exactly what we're trying to do, <laughs> right? So those are two very different things. And yeah, maybe you'll be more tired and who knows, maybe the run might help with better sleep. But like, as far as the principles go, mm -hmm. um, that's not a go-to thing. Not the best I, method. That's no. not the best method, right? So just understanding those and remembering that as you do get more knowledge behind them, you'll be able to pick better, better methods and you'll be able to have better results. That's it. But really, the, the key here is to understand the principles. And, and something I'll talk about is I started um, doing uh, FMS when I was very early on in my career about a decade ago. And FMS is kind of what I learned on movement principles. I was talking about Greg Hook and Lee Burton earlier. Yep, they've, yep. Uh, they've pioneered the whole movement assessment process and really formalized it into a repeatable process yeah. that we can use. Yeah, oh, um, go ahead. Sorry, guys, if you don't know, the FMS is the functional movement functional screen. Functional movement screen, yeah. yeah. Functional uh, functionalmovement.com, I believe yeah. it is. Yep. Um, you can look up functional movement systems. Yep. And there is millions of different corrective strategies you can go about. But we know what the principles, the main principles of um, the FMS and functional movement screen, a lot of them follow the joint by joint theory, yep. uh, the core pendulum theory, uh, some of it in the way you go about correcting things follows the neural developmental process of you know being a baby, lying on the ground, coming up to uh, quadruped, to crawling, to kneeling, to standing, to walking, etc. So as long as we are honoring those principles, we can effectively choose the right methods for how we would correct this person's 
let's say hip mobility. Um, but we need to know what those principles of proper and efficient and, and competent movement are. If I don't know that I need to have hip mobility and shoulder mobility before I can stabilize my core, well then we're going to be working on maybe we can plank all day, but if I don't have proper hip movement and proper hip mobility because my pelvis isn't in good alignment to even get a stable core, well then I'm not going to be choosing the correct method that's honoring that principle of mobility before stability. And if I can then go back and gain mobility first, and so I may be working and I know now I, know I need hip mobility with this client. You may have, in order to get a straight leg raise position, you may have a way that you go about doing that. Maybe you do leg lowers. Maybe I do something completely different. You know, maybe I do something that's, you know, I have them hold a band and, you know, maybe I'm assisting their leg up or something manually. Totally. There's tons of different ways to do these things. The, the question is, are you honoring the principle of increasing mobility before you start stabilizing, before you get uh, strength into the system, and then before you now um, repeat that strength over and over to build endurance into it. So we have to honor those principles, even in our corrective strategies with our clients. Absolutely, and I think a key here is to remember that like you can hide it in the exercises, guys. Like I understand that one of the big, um, you know, controversial topics that, that people may mention as we talk about mobility is like, well, clients don't want to pay me X amount of money for me to make them lay down and do this, this and that, or whatever, right? Like they're coming to sweat, they're coming to do that. Like mm -hmm. you can work it in like ninja style and just like slip it in there and people won't really notice because there's some mobility stuff that's going to be a challenge to them. If they can't move that well, like you trying to get them to increase hip mobility with certain movements may get them sweating like they they may feel it right so just you know get creative and if you're not sure about things just look into some corrective exercises look into um some things that may help you accomplish exactly what you're going for whether it's shoulder mobility or you know issues with the knee who knows what's going on right but um but you can sneak those things in there have a good workout and still help benefit them and get them a little closer to feeling good, which is ultimately one of the most important things. Right. Now, one of the things we didn't really touch on is the psychology of the client. And there are certain, I feel like, principles when it comes to the psychology of coaching and the psychology of, of your client and how they respond to you that we haven't really talked about yet but are very important because, I mean, this is the coach's mind. This is about coaches and helping coaches understand and be better for their clients. Yeah, exactly. Psychology is a big one, right? And both you and I going through the Precision Nutrition Level 2 process, year-long program, really emphasizing um, in-depth coaching into the psyche of that, that client and meeting them where they are and helping them um, navigate their own mind, right? To, because essentially that's what we're all up against is ourselves most of the time. Exactly. Anyway, very often we are not facing like just specific circumstances that are holding us back. A lot of times it's our own, you know, um, limited beliefs that we have put into play based on previous failures or previous watching other people's failures. So we create these limiting beliefs. But I think um, when it comes down to it, there are certain principles that are no that are never failing, like empathetic listening for one, yeah. active listening. Yeah. This is something that, you know, however you go about that, you know, whether that's 
you um, doing it within your session. You know, if, you, if the method you choose to, to actively listen to your client is you get right in and during your warmups, you're gonna sit and you're gonna talk to them about their week. Where do they slip up? What did they do well? What do you wanna put into place for the next week or month? Um, you know, maybe that's where you do it. Maybe your method is to take your client and actually sit them down because they can't focus and, and actually um, absorb any of this coaching conversation if there's other stimulus, if there's other people in the gym and they're distracted, they're not gonna be very focused. So we have to take those things into account, move that person into the environment that we know they're gonna respond the best, choose that method of coaching that's going to best affect that coach, that trainer, um, that client's progress moving forward in, in that coaching process and then you know, deliver our coaching conversation in that proper environment. So I think um, that's just one one thing. Um, asking more questions, you know, Huge. is a big one. Huge. Then you're giving answers. Huge principle. Yep. I think that needs to be harped on. I talked a lot about that in, um, in, in Prison Nutrition, mm-hmm. allowing people to answer their own questions yeah. through through asking them questions about it. Yeah, so it's called MI, guys. Um, so motivational interviewing um, is essentially exactly what Mike's talking about. It's a tactic where you at, make sure that any question that you ask, for the most part, right, is open-ended. Mm-hmm. You don't want to ask a question that will respond with a yes or a no, right? Mm-hmm. You want to ask a question where, like, they have to elaborate in some way, shape, or form because typically as you get clients to begin to elaborate on their own, they can come up with their own answers. They come up with their own epiphanies and, like, they'll say things out loud that they didn't, you know, realize, like, it'll be in their head. They'll say it out loud and be like, wow, now that I'm saying it out loud, that sounds ridiculous, yeah. like, whatever it is. Um and that can make a really, really big difference, guys. So um, one person who is amazing, if you want to dig a little deeper on motivational interviewing, there's a lot of science behind it. Um, and you can dive into that stuff. But if you want somebody who's already doing it in our field on a day-to-day basis, that'll give you stuff that's a bit more digestible. And you can probably absorb even faster because they've gone through all that more technical stuff. Michael Keeler, um, he works with Mark Fisher, Mark Fisher Fitness. Um, him and Mark are partners. Michael Keeler does um, workshops and presentations on it. He's got tons of information out there and he is the master at um, crucial client conversations and Mm. and motivational interviewing is huge on his list of how to approach um, a conversation that could be risky, for lack of a better word. Yeah, they are, and these are critical situations. There are so many different methods to go um, with how we would coach our clients. Motivational interviewing is one. Yep. You know, people go into cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT is another That's one. Big. There's a lot of different ways. I mean, there's another method could be the five whys. That's a mm-hmm. good question to kind of dig deep below the surface, get people to really understand the deep underlying root of what is actually going on in, in their you know limited beliefs that they're working through. Yep. There's so many different ways. So many. The key is, is are we honoring those principles of psychology? Are we allowing them to have a sense of enlightenment and, and you know find the answers themselves? Intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? These are all principles that we need to follow and, and our coaching process should be in line with that. Is the method that we're choosing um, of motivational interviewing, are we getting that person to do it because their doctor wants them to be healthier? Are we talking them 
through this process to get them to do it for themselves because they stand to gain something. So we have to be talking about that and focusing on that with our clients when we're looking at the method we're choosing. Does it honor that principle of you know intrinsic being better than extrinsic? We know the science shows. Nick Winkleman, um, uh, formerly of Exos, did a whole bunch of research on the coaching science of this. That intrinsic motivation um, just garnered far more results with athletes. Uh, intrinsic, I'm sorry, extrinsic, uh, external cues um, got much better. Uh, results than internal cues with clients. You know, telling clients to think think of something outside their body got you know people uh, NFL combine athletes to run 0.2 seconds faster than any other combine um, you know uh, camps anywhere else. This is um, these are principles that are science based that we need to make sure that the methods we're choosing are again in line with those. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. And and um, it's amazing how something point two doesn't seem if you, if you don't know football that well it might not seem significant but that that is nickel Wink, nick winkleman said it's a matter of you know potentially five more million dollars for that rookie's contract easily so <laughs> so point so two equals five million there's a reason that exos gets 30 percent of com of people who are trying out for this so the college football season ends and they they generally have eight weeks to get ready for the nfl combine um to peak so they, they finish the season, they're running, running right into an eight-week training program um, with a lot of these NFL Combine training camps. And that's not a lot of time you know, to be in peak shape after you just finished a grueling season, bowl week, you know, all of that. Now you're going right into training. But yeah, that's, that's a huge number. Point two doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a matter of millions of dollars on some of these athletes' contracts. Yeah, and, and that's, that's just insane to think about, right? <laughs> yeah. So to... I mean, I, I guess the whole the whole point of that, honestly, is at the end of the day, um, that was able to come to fruition based on following principles. Yeah, honestly, um, do you feel like you have any more to add to this one today? Or we covered a lot of ground. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think we'll let people <laughs> kind of digest that a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe just hit us up on social media if there's any um, questions or follow-ups to this. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, social media, the coach's mind on Instagram. Um, yeah, re- reach out, DM us, guys. We're, we're answering all DMs, comments, whatever that is. Um, we will be happy to elaborate a little bit more for you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I am at Coach Mike Urso. If you want to get me directly, you are? Uh, at Art of Coaching underscore 89. Cool. So hit us up, guys, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you. If you enjoyed any part of this episode, please share it with someone who can benefit from it. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get new episodes as soon as they're released. We'd love to hear your number one takeaway from the show, so please head over to Instagram where we are, at The Coach's Mind, and send us a DM with your thoughts. That's at The Coach's Mind without the E, just the singular version. Lastly, we want to keep bringing you amazing, valuable content each week. And for us to do that, we need your support. It would mean the world to us if you would go to anchor.fm backslash the coach's mind, click on support this podcast, and consider a small monthly donation to keep this podcast going. You can give as little as 99 cents a month, and it would really allow us to keep developing content to share and help you become a better coach.